Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, world. I am Reverend Adrian L. Robinson II, a.k.a. Rev. Rob, and this is Deeper in the Word, the show where we give you the real about Scripture with people who actually know and understand it so that you can get a better grasp of what certain things in the Bible mean, how they relate to your life and experience, and how you can apply something written so long ago to what you are going through right now. And today, my friends, today is a very special day for us here at Deeper in the Word, a day where we celebrate a true milestone for this podcast, because today is our 50th episode, 50. Yes, indeed, 50 episodes. And first and foremost, we want to thank all of you out there, each and every one of you that is listening to this right now, for making this happen and for supporting this podcast and for always having our backs. We also want to thank all of our very special guests, which we've had over these past two seasons who have helped to make this show what it's been. And so, to that end, today's episode is simply entitled The Big 5-0. The Big 5-0. And it's only right that we kick off our 50th episode by honoring those guests and the topics which you, our audience, have cherished as you've listened to this show and that you've supported by looking back at some of our favorite, some of our most popular, and some of our most controversial episodes over these last two seasons. And one of my personal favorite episodes that we've done, because there's a lot of them, and usually my favorite episodes involve our guests that we've had, but one of my favorite episodes that we've done is from our first season, episode five which was entitled, For the Love of Money, or The Tithe is Hot. And a lot of people don't really get that, that Deborah Harry Blondie reference, the tithe is high, but I'm They don't get that. But that's what we do here at this show. But that particular episode discussed the biblical concept of giving. So in that episode, not only did we do a thorough examination of what the Bible has to say about tithing, about giving the 10% of your income and all of that good stuff. We also specifically talked about how churches try to bully people into paying their tithes and offerings. And in the segment entitled Trifling Churches and Tithing Boards, we conducted a little experiment to demonstrate that point. Check it out. But we also know in our society that people are corrupt and trifling and that they'll pervert anything towards their own self-will and gain, even in their handling of the things of God. And so what the Bible says about tithing sometimes is not reflected in how churches treat the tithing and offering process. Point blank, 
Some churches abuse it. And I won't get into all the various ways that church leaderships abuse the tithe and offering process and take advantage of the trust of their members. Y'all know what they are, or you can Google it. And the secular world has already made enough of a character of preachers for y'all to identify with several of these type of abuses. But one in particular I want to mention. Churches should not be putting their members on blast for not tithing in accordance with the way and manner that that particular church requires. Now, to demonstrate this point, I want to conduct a real quick experiment with y'all. I want everybody listening right now to Google the phrase Malachi 310 tithing board, okay? That's M-A-L-A-C-H-I, the number three, colon, the number 10, and then tithing board, T-I-T-H-I-N-G, and then board, B-O-A-R-D. Malachi tithing, uh, Malachi 310 tithing board. Put that in Google search engine and then click on the images tab in Google. The very first picture under images that comes up is a picture of a bulletin board in some church somewhere. We don't know what church is, and thank goodness we don't. And you'll know you have the right picture because it's yellow and green in coloring, and it shows the Malachi 310 verse posted in big letters over a sign that says non-tithers board. And y'all, this is literally a bulletin board that some church posted that has four pages tacked to it And each page has a list of names on it of the members of that church who weren't paying their tithes. Look it up. I ain't making that up. It's the very first picture that comes up when you Google that phrase. This, my friends, is unquestionably not biblical. I mean, nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt put thy members on front street if they don't give me the loop, give me the loop. I mean, come on. This is an example of human arrogance, of mankind's proclivity towards thinking, I got to get mine before I give God what is his. And that ain't biblical. Churches should not be harassing their members over money. And it shouldn't matter if the people aren't regularly giving either. And we're going to talk about some statistics that reveal that later on. Who gives and how much they give? are not for the church to dictate or direct, period. And again, it reflects a selfish, arrogant human sensibility that says what was supposed to go to God, give us our cut first. Yeah, period, point blank. Don't let churches convince you that you owe them, that you're somehow indebted to them to give them money just because you're a member there. That ain't nothing but a church trying to gangster you out of your money, y'all. Because that's gangster for you, gangster for you. You ever seen State Property? Oh, I love that movie. You know, another one of my favorite episodes, also from our first season, featured my brother and friend, the incomparable Mr. Greg Kirkland Jr. And if you're unfamiliar with Mr. Kirkland, I suggest you do your Googles. Do your Googles. He's a performer extraordinaire, a songwriter, a playwright, an accomplished actor, 
He's been in I don't know how many Tyler Perry movies and plays. And he's an accomplished actor of, like I said, both stage and screen. And he's arguably the best, the best praise and worship leader in the Southeastern United States, if not the nation. That's not hyperbole. The boy gets busy, okay? And in episode number three of our podcast, season one, entitled Ancient Ways of Raising Praise and Worship, Brother Greg came on the show and absolutely waxed poetic in a very interesting interview about the history of praise and worship in the Bible as found in the Old Testament and specifically in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. You were talking about the reverence for God. Um, And we're talking in this context of praise and worship. I want to talk about musicianship and the Bible for a second. And uh, uh, particularly the structure and the birth of the administration and direction of the music ministry. Because we see this in chapter 16. And, you know, we see David, you know, telling the Levites to... uh, praise God through Psalms, and then the Levites instruct the people to sing to God, and this is literally the birth of the call and response ideology of praise and worship. You know what I'm saying? And so, David was fully aware of this, and he had this mindset of, look, anytime, like you were saying, anytime we come into God's presence, y'all cats better be getting y'all earth running fire on and playing these instruments nonstop. Okay? He he focused on it, even appointed people for this. So do you think as a praise and worship leader, it's important for praise and worship musicians to know this history about the musicians who preceded them and um, about um, some of the things they did and some of those names like Asaph or Heman or Judathun, you know, some of these guys who were appointed by David, you think it's important for uh, praise and worship musicians as well as singers to know about these folks? Absolutely. I think that, you know, you can't, you can't properly know how to navigate in your gift Hmm. without um, knowing the history of those who came before you. It's no different than, you know, going to school and learning American history or African American history or, you know, things that sort you, it's hard for you to know where you're going without knowing where you've been. Absolutely. And, and, and studying the people who have, you know, kind of been the trailblazers and created basically a a roadmap. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, it's interesting that you know there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so how can you be a musician uh, or a psalmist? You know, or, or you know, sing on a praise team or worship leader, things of those sorts, and not really know the history of the people who were placed in those in those positions to be able to, you know, we, we're we're talking now specifically about First Chronicles, mm-hmm. you know, sixteen. We could go all the way back to to Genesis. Yeah. You know, when Speak God on. created Judah. Mm-hmm. You know, and and three other brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, who were born out of a woman was trying to please her husband, mm. you know, and out of those four sons, Judah was the one that carried on, you, you know, yes, so understanding those names and those people. So now you fast forward, here you are, you're in, you know, Chronicles um, 16, and and you start to see Asaph, 
Yeah. And you start to see the brothers and you start to hear the names and you start to understand they were all given specific mandates and instructions on on their on their position yeah. and, and and what they needed to do in order to, to create the <laughs> excuse me, atmosphere of worship exactly. surrounding the Exactly. You know, exactly. To create a place of praise that just was continual. It just mm-hmm. never it never stopped. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh you know, understanding, then it leads you to question the fact, it leads you to, to ask yourself, um, if those were, were those musicians or were they minstrels? Mm. Wow, wow. And so, and so now you fast forward and you ask yourself, am I a musician or am I a minstrel? Wow, wow. Because a musician is skilled, they've learned the skill of what they do. They've learned the, the 12 notes on the 88 key, you know, or the strings, mm-hmm. or the drums, mm-hmm. or those things. And we and and we know, you know, Psalm 150, you know, praise ye the Lord, praise, yeah. let everything that has praise, praise him upon the high sentence, mm-hmm. praise him on the cymbals, praise him on the temple and death. You know, we know, we know psaltery heart, we know those things, but it, then it all, the Bible also talks about the musicians playing skillfully, which is what transitions them from musician to minstrel. Mm-hmm. And to be a wow. minstrel means to understand um, or, or to be in tune with the, with the Spirit of God as well as the roadmap. Yeah. Because when you are in tune and you're a minstrel, God will give you a roadmap even in the middle of a worship experience that will let you know, don't play this chord. Yeah. Don't play that chord. Yeah. You know, don't play jazz right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not the time right. to insert a well-known R&B song so that this, so that you know it feels good in the moment. Right. Because that's not where we are. Amen. Amen. That's not how it is. So you know, I can appreciate him. You know, assembling the Levites, as you said, and you know, specifically giving mandates as to you're here, you're carrying here, you're doing this, you're establishing this, and then don't just do it, do it continually. Yes. Yes. Do it continually and establish uh, uh, establish a a routine that now will trickle down to the people to where the people who are watching will also follow suit and will understand that this is the way of worship. This is the way of you know the roadmap, basically. Exactly. Exactly. And I want to highlight what you just said, because at the end of chapter 16, the text says David left these guys in charge and then, quote, went back home. So so he charged them like I didn't give it to y'all. So let it flow smoothly. Exactly. 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 And so even in that, there's a lesson in that. And the lesson in that is, you know, especially in, in, in talking church. You know, now, now, you know, we're talking about the experience of church, especially church in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it says so much as a leader that is able to establish another leader. You've, you've appointed someone. So, again, David appointed Asa. You've appointed a person to now oversee another group. And then it's their job to create uh, a rhythm or create a pattern where others can watch. And then they will continue on the same routine and the same pattern. It says a lot as a leader to be able to establish and to 
you know, uh, dictate and mandate what thus says the Lord as far as how this should be done. And then you, I do, you watch. Mm. You feel me? Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, you feel me? Yeah. And then, and then we do together, and then you do, and I watch, and then I leave. Yeah. Yeah. Because you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So, exactly. So you know, it's, if we, if, if more of us as leaders would learn that to raise other leaders, to build other leaders, to you know lay out the blueprint. You know, write the vision and make it plain on a tablet mm-hmm. so that, you know, they, the seer, will run with it. You know, all those things come in, they all still tie in into the same thought process of, of creating uh, a, a, an atmosphere or creating a system of worship, yes, yes. a program of worship yes. to understand how to approach the throne of God. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Greg Kirkland, Jr., Not only one of the greatest performers of our age, but arguably the nicest guy you will ever meet in this lifetime. We love you, Greg. And we encourage y'all to be on the lookout for his next project, which is his stage show slash movie entitled Freed, F-R-E-E-D. And it's a very unique take on the biblical story of Christ's sacrifice towards mankind. And I actually had the pleasure of performing with him in that play, which he is now turning into a full-fledged movie. So we hope that he'll come back to the show and discuss that more in depth. Now, coming up next, we're going to continue looking back at some of our favorite episodes of the past two seasons, including some truly popular episodes. Now, don't get it twisted. Because that episode with Greg Kirtner was one of our more popular episodes, along with many others. But we're going to look at some of our truly popular episodes, including episodes which each feature guests who are the preeminent authorities on the topics on which they spoke. So come back and continue the celebration with us as we kick off 50 episodes. Come back after the break, y'all. What's up, friends? It's your man's Rev Rob, and I am excited to cordially invite you to catch all new episodes of our television show, Walk in the Word with Benevolent Faith Ministries, which airs on the Daily Gospel Network every Wednesday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Central, 11.30 a.m. Pacific Time. That's also prime time for our friends in Africa and Europe. And y'all should know by now how we do This is not your typical ministry show. You can watch the show on Apple TV, Roku TV, and Amazon Fire TV, or you can just go to www.thedailygospelnetwork.tv and watch us there. Come on out and walk in the Word with us and learn the truth about God's Word, but in a fun and exciting new way. Amen? And we can't wait for you to join us. Welcome back to Deeper in the Word. As a reminder, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcast, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, on Apple Podcasts, in the iTunes Store, and on iHeartRadio. We are so thankful for all of our streaming platform, uh, for all of our streaming platforms that have supported us over these past two seasons. Thank you, all of y'all. 
Also, don't forget to email us, y'all, at info at benevolentfaithministries.org to send us your questions and comments for the show. We love, love, love hearing from y'all. And remember, we want you to join us every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific time for our online church services. Just go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church, create a screen nickname so you can chat along with us during the service. And don't forget, that service is also an international service on Wednesday, which is 1 p.m. It airs at 1 p.m. Eastern time in America, but that's 6 p.m. in London and Western Europe, 7 p.m. in Western Africa, and 8 p.m. in Southern Africa, and 10.30 p.m. for all of our friends in Southern India. So make sure y'all check out that international broadcast. Also, check out our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and enter Benevolent Faith Ministries in that search box to see all of our, all of our videos, including past Bible studies that you can still participate in, as well as previous online services and previously aired episodes of our TV show, Walk in the Word, with Benevolent Faith Ministries. And don't forget to join us for new episodes of that show, Walk in the Word, which airs on the Daily Gospel Network every Wednesday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Central, 11.30 a.m. Pacific Time, which is also prime time for our friends in Africa, Europe, and India. And you can catch us on Walk in the Word uh, on uh, the Daily Gospel Network on Apple TV, Roku TV, and Amazon Fire TV, or you can just go to www.thedailygospelnetwork.tv and watch it there, or you can just go to our YouTube page every Thursday and watch the replay after it airs, amen? But today, my friends, today we are celebrating our 50th episode called The Big 5-0. By taking a look back at some of this show's most popular and controversial episodes, as well as some of our personal favorites. In our last segment, we talked about a couple of our personal favorite episodes in this podcast history. Next, we want to look at a few more of our favorites and some of the more popular ones in terms of sheer listenership, sheer numbers. And one of our most popular shows that garnered so many listens that we've aired featured special guest Dr. Daryl Hall. In fact, it was our very first episode that kicked off the entire podcast entitled Generation to Generation. And Dr. Hall is the campus pastor at Elizabeth Baptist Church in Conyers, Georgia, my home church, shout out to EBC Conyers, as well as a preeminent preacher and theologian in the state of Georgia. And he's also a ministerial mentor of mine and a very close personal friend. And Dr. Hall is also one of the country's leading authorities on intergenerational preaching. That is, pastors and preachers and ministers having the ability to create and craft sermons that simultaneously appeal to all age groups and generations. And in the episode entitled, uh, like I said, Generation to Generation, but in the segment entitled Youngsters and Old Heads, Dr. Hall gave us some fantastic insight on how, even in preaching the word of God, being original is paramount to connecting with people, especially when there is an age gap involved. What do you think is your main obstacle 
or main challenge, I should say, in trying to bring the research that you have discovered and found that is extremely helpful to that clergy community who may not be so open to a young man telling them what they feel they already know. In other words, I mean, I've been to church conventions where someone be preaching for 40 years and they have this sensibility of, you can't tell me nothing. You know, I, I kind of, I, I, they, they, maybe they feel they know it all, or maybe they feel they know just enough. But that sensibility almost creates a barrier or a fence that you have to climb over in order to first, first time over in order to present your, um, your information so that you can get them to understand it and maybe see it from a different perspective. What kind of challenge do you think that presents to you? And do you think that is something that you will encounter? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think, I think there are multiple obstacles, man. And to be honest, uh, with, with helping, uh, communicators of any age, be willing to at least listen to uh, what I have to say. I think the first one is lethargy, mm. meaning just laziness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you've done something, even if you haven't done it at the best of your abilities, when you've done it, though, for a significant amount of time, sometimes you can mistake longevity for effectiveness. Just because you've been doing it a long time don't mean that you've been doing it well for a long time. Mm-hmm. But when you become... Ain't that the truth? Oh, when you become okay with the current results you're getting, lethargy, laziness can mm, set in. That's good. Um, and particularly when it comes to communicating and speaking, I don't know if we, if we tinker enough, if we question enough some of the... Uh, the, the the things we've learned about communicating, we just kind of mimic. We what? just kind of emulate. Well, give me we see give me example. Give me example. Of what you mean? Um, so particularly in preaching. Okay. Um, despite the age of the preacher, when you're a younger preacher, what you do is you find some older preachers that you like, and you replicate things you you see them do, even if you don't know why they do. Right. To the extent that you may mimic their intonation and right. trying to make your voice sound like theirs. You may mimic their their the way they outline a message without asking why. Yeah. You may mimic their theology without even knowing where they fall on the theological spectrum. So you just kind of find who you think is good, who you think is charismatic, who you think kind of is similar to your style, and then you just do what you see them do without ever asking why they do it. And without ever wondering if they even know why they do. Hmm. It's one of those things where you can just pick up the tradition of an art form without learning the science behind it. I think you got to learn the science behind something you do before you can appreciate the art of it. You got to question the science, learn the science, study the science, become a student of it. And that comes, there's a science to preaching, there's a science to communication. And so before I can just find the artist and their unique expression, I got to become a student of the art form to be able to critique even why people I look up to do what they do. Right. And sometimes that's a lot of work. You can just be lazy and you can just replicate. You see the same thing in hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. There's a science to poetry, a science to making music. But what 
you find is, particularly in this generation of mumble rapping, where a lot of people just get in, dopey, cool hook, terrible lyrics, but they just want radio. They just want streams. Right. You know, it's very few students of hip hop. Exactly. That actually trace the origins of it. Exactly. What it means culturally. Um, you know, what its original intent was. Who are some of the historical uh shapers of this art form? Mm-hmm. Instead they just jump in on a dope beat and they mimic mumble rap and they just one hitter quitters, you know, one hit wonders. And they they say um, what people they think people want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, without you know, really studying the history of it. Yeah. And then implementing a unique artistic approach to it. Ah, my brother, Dr. Daryl Hall, who coincidentally is about to come out with a book associated with this topic. And we promise to have him back on the show once his book is published, as he is a very dear friend of Deeper in the Word. Shout out to Dr. Hall. You know, another one of our most popular shows and one of our favorites featured another very special guest and a friend of the show, Mr. J. Warner Wallace. And you may know him from his role as the cold case investigative reporter on the hit NBC show Dateline. But he's also the founder and creator of Cold Case Christianity, which is one of the leading Christian apologetic organizations in the world today. And Mr. Wallace was kind enough to take time out of his busy, hectic schedule to come and speak with us to kick off season two of the podcast in an episode entitled Speaking the Gospel. And in the segment entitled Eyewitness Testimony, Contradictions, Discrepancies, and the Nature of Witnessing, Mr. Wallace absolutely schooled us on the concept of how you can apply cold case investigative principles to the gospel of Christ. That is, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to prove the authenticity and credibility of the Gospels. And we highly encourage you to go back and listen to that entire episode for more information on this topic, because I'm telling y'all, he came through and did his thing. Peep how he breaks down eyewitness testimony as it relates to the Gospels. But many people have a healthy distrust of scripture, especially when it comes to the New Testament and stories about Jesus, because much of that story, like you hinted at, is told by four different authors. And even though a few of those authors actually walked with Christ directly, the fact that the four synoptic gospels uh, gospels can contradict each other in spots leaves many to believe that the eyewitness testimony methodology is faulty. Now, as a cold case investigator, can you explain for us the significance of eyewitness testimony specifically, especially applied to the synoptic gospels? Yeah, I think that those differences are, 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 like I was saying earlier, those are really the reason why I was interested in examining the gospels to begin with. Let's put it this way. Do you think people would have more confidence in the ancient account related to Jesus, if we only had one gospel, mm. I don't think they would. I don't or either. if we had four gospels that were word for word identical. Yeah, good point. No, they wouldn't be more. As, as, as a matter of fact, it's also pretty clear to me that in the first hundred years that these gospels were written, 
the people who wrote them and collected them, because it's clear from reading the early church fathers that they were aware of all four. That they were using all four Gospels. Mm -hmm. that people like Ignatius and Polycarp and Papias and, Bert and Clement mm -hmm. and um, Irenaeus. Mm -hmm. These were early believers uh, in the first hundred years of Christianity who um, were already referencing all four Gospels. Yes, sir. So it's clear that they were aware of all four Gospels and the differences that existed between the four Gospels. Yet they didn't try to, you know, we've got to get rid of these the other three. We've got to make sure we, we can't have any competing. No, they recognized the four. In fact, the early church fathers talked about this. They talked about how this is the nature of how each person brings in their own personal perspective on what they either heard or what they collected. So someone like Luke, for example, uh, Luke had no problem collecting the work of Mark, the work of Matthew. Uh, these, these, these folks clearly borrowed from each other where it was already written and they agreed this is what happened. And then they added to this their own personal observations or their own interviews. Luke says he spoke to everyone who, who uh, were, were eyewitnesses who handed down this information from the disciples. Mm -hmm. so, so I think that, that the fact that these are, they are different, and, and this was what's so great about working uh, uh, witnesses, if you do this for a living, if you investigate eyewitnesses, the one thing you won't ever do is deny that a robbery occurred because your four witnesses have slightly different stories. Hmm. We know there was a robbery, and now these days, of course, it's all captured on video. But back in the old days, you know, you might not have any. Uh, sadly, when I first started in 1988, working these these homicides and working uh, bank robberies, for example, we just had still pictures. They didn't even have like video streaming. Video was not yet on the on the scene. Yeah. So so you you would not you wouldn't have a video you could compare an eyewitness to. You had to trust the eyewitness accounts, and then of course defense attorneys love how these accounts seem to be slightly different. But this is just the nature of eyewitnesses. So I don't see anything between the accounts, number one, that would cause me to um, doubt the accounts. In other words, there are no real true, every alleged contradiction, uh, if you look at it, they can be reconciled in some way. Uh, so, for example, if, if it says in one account that there are two uh, two uh, angels at the tomb, and in another account only only one is mentioned, well, you can easily see that the account where one is mentioned is the one who's speaking who is mentioned. And so it, it's very, you know, it makes, I see this all the time in my professional work. If there are two people there, but I'm only recalling the statement of one of them, it might appear in my account that there's only one person there. But in right. fact, I'm simply focused on that one person because that one person is the one who's speaking. Yeah. The same thing is happening in these accounts. So, so I don't have a problem with, I've looked at all these alleged contradictions, and there's lots of folks who are writing about the alleged contradictions, and you'll see as you read through these, that not only are they reconcilable, there are many ways, many times in the accounts, where Luke says something that then makes sense of what Matthew said. Yeah. Luke, or, or Luke raises a question that really, if you read Mark's account, you have the answer to that question. These are called the, the uh, uh, uh,
<laughs> Mr. J. Warner Wallace, holding court like the professor that he is. And that's not hyperbole. Mr. Wallace is actually a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview and an adjunct professor of apologetics at the Talbot School of Theology, which is at Biola University, and at Southern Evangelical Seminary and at Gateway Seminary. So he's used to schooling cats about the Bible. Now, coming up in our last segment, we want to take a look back at some of our more controversial episodes, or rather, the episodes which generated the most feedback, whether positive or negative, in terms of the subject matter that they discussed. And just like this past segment, these episodes also featured some highly knowledgeable speakers and authorities on these topics. So come back and finish celebrating with us after we return from the break. At Benevolent Faith Ministries, we're a virtual church with a real heart for God. Visit us on the web today at benevolentfaithministries.org and learn more about becoming a member, participating in our giving partnerships, and learning how you can be the church without the need of any building. That's benevolentfaithministries.org. Log on today. What's up, y'all? This is Rev. Rob, and I'm inviting you to join us live for our weekly online services every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. All you have to do is log on at benevolentfaithministries.online.church, and it'll take you directly to the live worship session. Now, if you get there a bit early before service is started, stay and enjoy the fellowship with us and others through the chat system. You can even participate live and chat with our hosts during and throughout the service as well as take notes and follow along in the Bible section we have available. And you can request prayer or even join Benevolent Faith Ministries itself. Remember, you can log on at benevolentfaithministries.online.church every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, and we can't wait for you to worship with us. Welcome back to Deeper in the Word. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook. Just search for at Benevolent Faith Ministries and like our page to support us. And don't forget, you can still join us every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern during our live prayer call line. If you can't make the live call, you can call the prayer playback line, which is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in order to hear what you may have missed on the prayer call. Amen? Friends, in today's episode, entitled The Big 5-0, we have been celebrating this, our 50th episode. It's a milestone for us. And again, we cannot thank our listeners enough for their support of this podcast over the past two seasons. And in this last segment, we want to look back at some of the more controversial episodes we've done. Not that there was some huge uproar after the episodes aired, but more so the topics that were covered in these episodes were very provocative. And one of the more provocative topics we covered was back in season one, episode number 10, entitled The Biblical Authorities, which featured as its special guest, a good friend of mine, retired Atlanta Police Department Sergeant Samuel McClinic. 
And Sergeant McClinic came on the show and really dropped some gems about police and community relations in the 21st century and how the Bible associates to those relations. And in the segment entitled The Cowboy Mentality and Shooting Out Streetlights, he gave us some valuable and insightful information on the subject of excuse me, the subject of police brutality. <laughs> that was brutal how I just <laughs> butchered that. The subject of police brutality, particularly in the wake of the George Floyd shooting. Check out what he had to say about certain cops thinking and acting like the Lone Ranger out here. We talk about this abuse of authority. Um, we're talking about authority that comes with responsibility. So when you shirk that responsibility, you should be punished for it. And ultimately, it's a heart issue. What do you think in terms of the biblical authority that is granted and the abuses of that authority? What are your thoughts on that? Well, first, first thing is, if you go out and you abuse someone, in the, in the, the word says that you come to that person, if you have a problem with if me and you are neighbors and we have a problem, we come to each other. Mm-hmm. If we can't make reach an agreement, we go to the elders of the church. Mm-hmm. Or we, first of all, we take someone with us. Then you go to the elders of the church. It's the same thing in in the, in police work. If I show up on a call and I can't do it, I call another officer or a supervisor. And see, sometimes people are scared to reach for that high authority. But um, people need to understand that in the Bible, in life, they're woven together. Mm-hmm. What you do as an officer will have detrimental effect, which we've seen here lately. Now, I'm sure those officers wasn't trained that way. Right. Because we never trained that way. And there are certain laws that the officer take personally to themselves in their oath of office. In their oath of office, there's a lot of different things in there. But the, one of the things about the abuse, Pastor Ed, oh, I can't find what I'm looking for. I have to go right there. It's uh, the cowboy mentality or the mm. long range of syndrome. Mm. Mm. Where they get out and do, well, I'm going to do this. But like we, like I said earlier, once you step outside of your training, you're, you're going on an island by yourself. Yeah. And you're not going to be protected by government. Yeah. But... Once you step out on that island, you have the same rights any other citizen where do call. You have to have an investigation mm-hmm. into what you do. Mm-hmm. Now, the Bible talk about, First Peter, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme. And that go, it goes on to talk about how people just, they not, they not. And when... We see people, they're at their worst. Mm-hmm. They're at their worst. And it goes on and says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governor, as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise for of those who do good. And one thing, I, one thing I know, and people, some people just don't understand, is that when an officer steps outside, He's going to be punished by the courts or by his department. But the other officers, the good officers, such as the ones that are still there, are going to be punished by the citizens. Yes. 
They'll be punished by the citizens because they're the one on the front line. But when I was in Atlanta, I, I, I was in riots. I was in the Democratic Convention. I was in parade. You name it, I've done it in police work. Shootout, fights, car chases. And I always live by the motto, I'd rather let a guilty man go than put an innocent man in jail. That's just me from the Bible. Because on my, on my father's side, they in law enforcement. On my mother's side, they are they, they in the church. Mm-hmm. They were preachers. And uh, you get it from both ends where you want, you do what your heart, what's in your heart. It's going to come out eventually. Yeah. You get in police work, and it used to be a saying that most people that get in police work are bullies. Yeah. Or they're, or they're weak. Yeah. And they want that power to build them up. But you don't need, if you got the Lord on your side, you have less problems. You you, you always got something to go to. Absolutely. And you hit it right on the head when you said when you talked about it before. It's a heart issue. It's and a heart so, issue. you know, and the scriptures are very clear about what God feels about our heart. We look at Matthew 15, 18 and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So we see that when it comes to the abusive officer, it's a heart issue. And as you said, the public then condemns all the other officers for this person's actions. And what we in the public need to understand is that we cannot condemn all police for the actions of a few officers with obstinate hearts not turned towards God. And you know that when you do something for so long, if you're doing it wrong, that's the way you, that's, that's what you go to every time. Mm-hmm. And uh, George Ford, we, we are, our officers, every officer on the department is, can say, stop. When we go to the fire range, you see an unsafe act, you can say, stop. On the street, when they, if, if I had been on that scene where I'm a rookie or a 30-year veteran, he can't breathe, get up, he's handcuffed, let's put him in the car. And you see abuses all kind of way. I saw one a few, few last, last winter, they caught this young boy out at night. He wouldn't give him any information. He was 12 years old. They put him in the car and turned the air conditioning on in, in the middle of the winter. Mm. Mm. Now, now, things like that, to me, sometimes that is a supervisor's issue. Mm-hmm. Because what I try to do, Pastor, is talk to each officer at least once every day to see where the head is. And we would tell them in a minute, if you don't feel like being here today, stay off. Call in sick. Because if you don't, you don't feel good, you got an attitude, you and the wife went at it, or you and the husband, or the kids got on you, know, you stay at home. Yeah. Because you're not going to do yourself any good that day. That's right. That's my guy right there. Officer, sergeant, I should say, Sam McClinic, A great man of God and a very accomplished officer of the law at many different levels. Now, another very provocative episode we did was entitled Matters of Race. That was back in season one, episode number 20. And that episode featured as our special guest, the Reverend Terrence D. Albritton. 
who in my opinion is one of the leading Christian apologists in all of Atlanta and who came to speak on uh, came on to speak about the topic of race and the Bible and when you talk about educating the masses oh man the right Reverend Albritton did just that absolutely crushing the buildings on many many very topics related to the subject matter and again while we encourage y'all to go back and listen to all of these episodes this is one of those episodes where you almost have to listen to it more than once because Reverend Albritton simply drops so much indispensable information you need to take notes literally when you listen to this episode in fact it was extremely difficult for me to pick just one of the many things he dropped science on, but one of the topics he waxed poetic on in the segment entitled Coptics, Claiming Egyptian and Slave Bibles has to deal with the subject of slavery and the slave Bible. Check it out. They use the Bible to subjugate black people, to subjugate Africans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say, yes, I say, but you got to dig a little deeper. So I was in the barbershop. The guy was telling me, hey, you use the Bible against slaves and the Bible. And it was used to subjugate. And I asked the guy, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, have you ever researched the Bible they gave the slaves? And he said, no. I said, so your assumption is the Bible we have today is the Bible they gave the slaves. And he said, yes. I said, well. The slave Bible was actually titled Parts of the Holy Bible. And it was selected in, in the Negro Bible in the British West Indies. And there's actually one on display in the British Museum. Yeah. About 90% of the Old Testament was missing from this Bible. It did not contain the book of Exodus. Now think about that. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't a slave master want a slave to read the book of Exodus? What is the book of Exodus detail? It details slaves getting their free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it only contains 50% of the New Testament. It, it did not contain Paul's letters because you don't want them reading a letter that Paul wrote telling them to sleep one minute to, to treat one minute to with a slave, mm-hmm. not as a slave, but as a brother beloved. Yes. So let me put it this way. The Bible we have has 1,189 chapters. The slave Bible only contained 230 chapters. Hmm. So, yeah, did they use the Bible to enslave Africans? Yeah. But they had to take out 80% of it to do it. Yeah. Which proves that you can't take, you can't use the Bible as a whole to teach slavery because it actually tells slaves to advocate for their freedom. Hmm. Excellent. Which is why they got beat, which is why they got beat for trying to read it because you're only going to believe the interpretation we give you, not read it for yourself. It wasn't until you start to read the Bible as a whole unit, plus white abolitionists saying, you know what, we can't use the Bible to teach this because God's word actually shows different. But then, and I know we got probably I'll stop here, but one of the things people have to realize is that slavery was a vital part of Roman culture. Come on now. Estimated one in five people who were residents in Rome were slaves. Due to the conditions in the problem, it allowed for homebred slaves 
to be the main source of supply. The number of slaves in Rome was so large that the Roman Senate refused to pass a proposal that would have required all slaves to wear distinctive dress. They didn't want citizens to realize how many people were actually slaves. Plus, the slavery in the Bible was not the chattel slavery that we see here in America. Come on. You can be beaten. You can be killed if you beat you couldn't beat your slaves. Slaves in certain parts was treated so well that even when their time was up, because they had a time period that the debt would be paid, they had a choice to remain with their master. And the ones that told to remain freely would drill a hole in their ear called a dial that let everybody else know that he's not keeping me against my will. I have chosen to be here. If a uh, owner did not have a male son and died, his inheritance went to his male slave. That is not the picture of chattel slavery. So when they try to compare the two, it's a false narrative because you're comparing apples to oranges. Hey, Reverend Terrence Albritton, y'all. Man, oh man. That's my dude. Always killing the game with the knowledge. And we hope to have him back on the show soon to speak more on this and other very important topics. Also, make sure y'all go and support his company, Grady Baby Company and Apparel, one of the hottest clothing companies born out of and native to the great city of Atlanta. You can check them out at www.gradybabyco.com and accept no imitations. Because there's a few fake Grady Baby companies out there that straight up tried to steal my man's idea and stole the name and the concept from him. So make sure you avoid those frauds and stick with the real. Amen? Shout out to my dog, T.R. Britton. Friends, we want to thank you for joining us for this memorable walk down memory lane. And we've looked back at some of the episodes in this show's two-year history. And frankly, we left many episodes out of the discussion, which we feel could have been included. There's been a lot of great episodes, in my opinion, that we could have put in there. There's the Touch Not My Anointed show, which was born out of a conversation I had with another minister about how we shouldn't be criticizing pastors and other ministers because they're protected by God, like they got a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's season two, episode number 10. There's also the um, Straight Out of Context show, which is another really popular show where we talked about Bible verses that people take out of context and misuse for the wrong reasons. And of course, we've had some amazing, amazing guests on this show. From my brother, Pastor Christopher Pipkin of uh, Prison Fellowship and Oasis on the Mount that came on and talked about uh, you know, the prison system and how it relates to the word. Uh, my church mama, Miss Sylvia Smith, who came on to talk about discipleship. My brother, James Ellerby, who came on and talked about um, chaplaincy. We've had a lot of great guests on this show. We've covered a lot of great topics. And, you know, I wanted to include another really controversial show, probably our most controversial topic, which was the resurrection show. We had a show called Give Me the Reasons, episode number six in season one, where we examined the top reasons why the resurrection of Jesus was an actual historical event. 
and gave the facts which lend, uh, led credence to that argument. And let me tell y'all, we had a lot of people get mad at us for that topic and try to say, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's just what we do on this show. We give people the real. And so one thing I can promise you all is that Deeper in the Word will always be committed to giving you the real about Scripture with people who actually know and understand it, as you've heard from many of our guests. That's our creed. That's our passion. And that's our commitment to you as listeners. And we hope you'll come back next week as we kick off season number three, episode number 51, with all new topics and all new guests who's going to do just that. Keep giving y'all the real because they know what they're talking about. Amen? Hey, listen, thanks for joining us as you always do. Don't forget, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, on Apple Podcasts in the iTunes Store, and on iHeartRadio. Also, don't forget, you can find us on the web at benevolentfaithministries.org. Log on now and learn more about our giving partnerships and how you can be the church without the need for any building. Uh, any building. Didn't the pandemic prove that to us? Also, don't forget to log on this and every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time for our online church services. Just go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church and we'll catch y'all there and we'll catch y'all here next season. Holla!